holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope you've had a, a good week since last we spoke. Arsenal won. That usually helps, doesn't it? When Arsenal win, it goes some way to uh, to making your week in general a bit better. So hopefully everybody is in uh, is in reasonable form as we head into another Premier League weekend, looking ahead to a game against Watford, our fourth home game in a row. My week if you want to know anything about it, has been, how shall I put this? Chompy. Chompy is about the best word I can use to describe the week that I've had. If you follow me on Instagram, instagram.com forward slash arseblog, you will be fairly aware of what's happened. I'll try and explain it to you here. A new puppy arrived in this house. Well, it didn't arrive. We got the puppy. We went and got the puppy, and the puppy has been here since last uh, May or April anyway. She's, you know, she's great, and she's a lovely little dog, but she's in that phase of her life where things that are on the ground end up in our mouth. So it could be like a dog toy. It could be a jumper. It could be a slipper. It could be a shoe. It could be a stick. And, you know, you have to be careful about what you leave lying around. It's your own fault if you leave something valuable on the ground when you've got a puppy because chances are the puppy's going to have a good chew on it, right? So uh, earlier in the week, I I, uh, was looking for my glasses. Couldn't find my glasses. I went to a well-known optician because you get two pairs for the price of one because I've got a pair upstairs and a pair downstairs. Or if I need to bring a pair into my studio with me, I bring the downstairs pair, and I always have my upstairs pair here anyway. But I couldn't find the downstairs pair anywhere. I thought maybe I'd put them somewhere. It's not, you know, I'm, I'm terrible for leaving things down and forgetting where I've put them. But, you know, I looked in all the usual places, bedside table, in the bathroom, on the shelves, could not find them anywhere at all. So I've been, you know, using my uh, upstairs pair all week so I can see and read things. And then the other night I went to bed and I got a new pair of uh, earphones, wireless earphones, Bluetooth jobbies. You know, they they go around your your head and they hang there and there's no wires, which is, you know, what the wireless part of that whole thing. Really nice, really enjoyed them. Listen to my podcast when I'm out walking the dogs or out running or even just walking around into town and you've got the headphones on. They're great. I really like them. I couldn't find them. I was going out and I was going, where are those headphones? I I must have put them same place I put my glasses. Couldn't find them anywhere and thought to look down on the rug in front of the fire. And there they were. Well, what was left of them anyway? I'd left them on the shelf beside the sofa. And Lana had gotten up on the sofa, taken the headphones down, gone down to the rug, had a good chomp on them. 
while I was in bed and uh, had a grand old time with them. So I found those, and that was a bit like, ah, oh, my God. Oh, well, you know, these are the pitfalls of having a puppy. But it didn't occur to me straight away that perhaps my glasses had gone the same way. And I couldn't see them anywhere. I had to look around, and I, co- I couldn't see them. But then I looked under her bed. She's got a little blanket that she sleeps on, and there underneath the bed were my glasses. Well, the frames of the glasses, the actual glass parts were gone. She'd had a good uh, chomp on those. The lenses were gone, and the frames themselves, well, it looked as if somebody had sat on them. And by somebody, I mean probably Grant Holt, or if you were to take Piers Morgan's obnoxiousness, for example, and craft it into human form, it would be the, the largest sumo wrestler that anybody has ever seen that sat on them. So... Headphones and uh, glasses this week chomped by the puppy. So that is why I've had a particularly uh, a chompy week. Got to get a new pair of glasses now. Got to get a new pair of headphones. So let that be a lesson to any of you who are thinking about getting puppies or German Shepherd puppies in particular. Put stuff away. I suggest a floor safe with a combination that can only be unlocked with your fingerprint, a retina scan... Uh, a devilishly difficult combination to remember, two keys that have to be turned simultaneously, and a voice command of some kind, like Open Sesame, but, you know, a voice password that not even the world's greatest impressionist could, uh, could fool the safe into thinking was you. Just to be on the safe side, that is what I would recommend. Anyway... We're going to be talking Arsenal very soon. My guest this week is Philippe Auclair, so lots on the agenda with him. But this week we did play our first Carabao Cup game of the season, 3-1 win over Brentford. Unai Emery picking a relatively, relatively uh, strong team. He's using his fringe players. The only real nod to youth in there, apart from Matteo Genduzzi, was uh, Emile Smith-Rowe. Is anybody else kind of freaked out every time you see his name written down and there's no hyphen? His name is not hyphenated. Feels like Smith Rowe should be hyphenated, doesn't it? Maybe he's booking the trend. Maybe he's a trendsetter, doing away with hyphens, saving people an extra press on a keyboard. And if that's the case, uh, we thank you very much indeed. But Emil Smith Rowe did very well. Danny Welbeck scored a couple of goals, making him our joint highest goal scorer right at this moment in time, with four goals in all competitions, level with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. And I know he does come in for a bit of stick, Danny Welbeck. Sometimes he looks a little bit ungainly. Sometimes he scores with bits of his body that he doesn't really expect to score with. Sometimes a pass doesn't quite come off. Sometimes you look at him run and you think there is a newborn gazelle making its first strides across the plains. Those long limbs not looking quite as coordinated as they will when the gazelle grows into a majestic grown-up gazelle. If he was Brazilian, they might call him Gazelinho or something like that. I don't know. I Look, I get it. You know, sometimes it just doesn't look like it's working for him. But... I think what we've seen this week is that Danny Welbeck, when he is fit and stays fit, can contribute to the squad in a very positive way. I mean, it's four goals. Uh, Maybe people would like to see Eddie Nketiah get a game, and I too would like to see Eddie Nketiah get some minutes. But you can't argue with four goals in the the playing time that he's had so far this season. And while I don't think he's ever going to be the guy to lead the line and be the number one striker at Arsenal... 
I do think he's someone who has a role to play, particularly this season, maybe only for this season, because like uh, like so many uh, instances we can refer to uh, from the recent past, he's only got, well, he's only got, he's got less than 12 months left on his current contract. And we haven't heard a word about whether there's new terms on offer. I think during the summer there were suggestions that we might move him on if the uh, if the right offer came in, but... Maybe it's just a little reminder that, you know, you can't always have world beaters from 1 to 11. You do need players like Danny Welbeck in your squad because it is a long season. There's a lot of football to play. There's a lot of competitions that we're in, particularly in seasons when we're in the uh, in the Champions League. And I also take the point that maybe if you want to make progress, you might want to find someone better than Danny Welbeck. But if you do find someone better than Danny Welbeck and they're competing with Lacazette and Aubameyang, for example, uh, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but we're already finding it difficult to get both of those players in the squad. And Danny Welbeck seems like a guy, if not 100% or completely content, with his role, he suits it very well. He suits it very well. So uh, I think Unai Emery has got a little bit of thinking to do there. The club have got a little bit of thinking to do there. And of course, there's been all kinds of contract stuff going on with Aaron Ramsey this week. So why don't we uh, bring in our guest this week? Always a pleasure to welcome him back to the show, Philippe Auclair. Salut, Philippe. Salut à toi, mon vieux. How are you? Frazzled. Okay, not just by football, I should point out. Not Not anything we can talk about on the podcast, but frazzled is a is, a, I think, a, a state of being that many of us feel at this moment in time in this yeah. world. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, let, let's try and escape from that frazzled feeling a little bit by talking about Arsenal, which, you know, has frazzled us. It's frazzled us in the past, it's fair to say. But mm-hmm. but uh, how, how are you feeling about it so far this season after the the opening two games and then the subsequent four Premier League wins and six wins in all competitions? Um. Quite positive. Um, I think the first thing is that we should remember that people were saying, you know, nature abhors a vacuum and um, a football club uh, even more, uh, especially when um, a manager has been placed for a very long time and suddenly it's back to uh, square one. And uh, in this particular case, it seems that, well, the transition is not uh, as rubbish as uh, some people thought it might be it certainly is better run than the brexit negotiations <laughs> um uh which is not the other thing the only thing that gets me frazzled these days but um, mm. um no i i think all in all it's been um, uh, quite a positive uh start to the season especially since it's the transition period. We're very much in the middle of it at the moment. We have a new manager bringing methods and and ideas which are very different indeed from those which had been uh, uh, promoted by the previous manager. And so you would expect that a club that has been steeped in the culture of Wengerism for so long would take a while to get used to the the new regime. Mm -hmm. I think there are signs, there have been signs for, for, for a while um, in fact, almost from the word go, that uh, there was a genuine change happening in the way that the team was preparing, the team was playing. It wasn't perfect uh, by any means, but what I find very comforting and reassuring is that despite all the teething aches uh, that go with that, the results have been actually pretty damn good. Um, with the exception, of course, of, of the first two games, I mean, a defeat to the champion is nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, we knew that uh, 
city were above the rest in many ways. Um, some regrets about what happened at Chelsea, but more yeah. because of missed opportunities. And then since then, despite games which haven't been entirely convincing, um, a group of players which has managed to uh, bring back points and, and wins in, in every competition they've been involved in. It hasn't been entirely convincing, but, yeah. but you know, I, I, you, you could find things to say about almost every game that's happened uh, this season. I mean, I, the one against West Ham, for example, the first half, which honestly wasn't good at all, and West Ham should have been perhaps two or three nil up yeah. uh, at, at the pause. Uh, similarly, uh, in, in many games we've seen since, since then, and where it seems that Arsenal has played decent halves, but not a decent game yet. Yes, it's true. I mean, how do you, in terms of your expectations of what Unai Emery was going to bring and what he was going to bring to the team and how he was going to get them to play, how uh, how do you view that at this moment in time? You know, just from chatting to people, I think... Uh, some people I've spoken to are going, well, look, it's six games or, you know, it's very early. He's trying to undo a lot of old bad habits. Not all the habits were bad, of course, but some of them were. Uh, other people are saying it's very difficult to try and figure out exactly what this process is or what, what he's trying to do. I mean, do you feel like we should have maybe a clearer idea of the kind of football he's trying to play or is it still too early to, to make that kind of assessment? Um, I don't think it's too early. I think we've got uh, many indications as to what he's trying to, to, to do. First of all, it's instilled some form of discipline uh, within, the, within the group, uh, certainly in terms of tactical organization. And the problems for me have not been really problems of organization, but perhaps psychological problems, rather how to execute things which have been, um, you know, which have been prepared during the week before the games. And sometimes the, the plans, which I think have been quite well devised, uh, actually, I think they've been well devised in general. Yeah. You know, some of the players may be falling back on their bad, bad habits and having to uh, adapt in a very short period of time, indeed, to a manager whose methods are, are completely different from that of our sense. Uh, so, uh, for example, it's, it's pretty obvious that they're trying to play a, a pressing game uh, higher up the pitch than was the case beforehand, when there was actually very little pressing or organized pressing to talk about. And there have been encouraging signs about that. We've seen it from time to time. I'm not saying it's still what he's, um, he has in mind, and, and it's, but we see signs of it. Uh, I think the goal against uh, Brentford, the second Welbeck goal, actually the, first, the two goals against Brentford, um, the first two goals have been very interesting and very encouraging. The first one, um, you probably saw the reaction of Ganduzi after uh, Welbeck put that header, that very fine header actually, yeah. out of reach. Uh, they celebrated in a way, oh, that's a little routine that we had developed and um, you know the short corner and, and then the cross from that particular angle and that kind of run. And that is something that I will definitely put on the plus side, uh, plus side, excuse me, uh, for the manager. Emery is somebody who uh, spends a lot of time working on on set pieces, uh, both defending and attacking. And there's a story there. If I've already told it to you, um, uh, please apologize for it. But uh, um, he he has he practices according to players whom I've talked to and who were with him at Valencia. Um, seven types of um, free kick situations, free kick and corner situations per game. 
and he has signals and he basically is a bit like a, you know like an attacking offensive coach or defensive coach in American football yeah and who basically calls the moves and then the players try to execute them as they have planned to, to do and I, I have a feeling that what happened to Brent in Brent against Brentford excuse me yeah for the first goal was very much that and the second one and you saw his reaction to it it was not just the finish by Welbeck he was applauding is the fact that the whole move actually started from Leno and a, a very assured if somewhat risky uh, pass out of defense and then very quick transitions and then what I would call a, a kind of movement of three quarters and almost like in rugby when you're going you know closer and closer towards the wing towards the touchline for the, the cross the killer cross and then somebody's there to, to convert it and he really loved that and I thought that was a very good example I think that goal is a very good example of what he's trying to achieve so quicker transitions uh, high pressing uh, perhaps a bit more uh, bite as well in the way uh, the players go about their business. It's not it's not perfect, but you, no. you see signs of it happening, and it's 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 ridiculously early days. And you know we're not in a situation uh, where we you know you look at the table in in the Premier League, you think actually it's pretty good um, given the way that the season started. Uh, Again, the performances haven't been quite at the level that we would expect, but the results have followed, yeah. which means that there is, that there is, there is a plan uh, and there is somebody who, who is really trying to, to put together a, a style of football, which is quite close to the Arsenal ethos, certainly the, you know, the Wenger era ethos of, yeah. of being positive and attacking, but at the same time with, with more bite, more organization, more discipline. Um, and um, I have to say, I mean, I'm, I, for the moment, I'm quite pleased because it's rather lovely the feeling you have when you exit the stadium and you know your team has, has gone through difficult times in that particular game, but you've got three points. Mm. And, you score, and, and they, they score loads of goals. They well, do score in every game. Was it interesting to you? I mean, it certainly it occurred to me watching the Brentford game on Wednesday night that this was our ostensibly our second string team. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all understand the reasons why, but it felt better balanced than our so-called first team because with the first team, he's got this issue. Uh, maybe it's a good issue for a manager to have. How do I get two fifty million pound strikers in my team? Two fifty million pound strikers who are who are scoring goals and who have this fantastic connection together on the pitch. If you look at the stats between Lacazette and Aubameyang since they joined, they've, they've combined uh, for assists and they've scored goals. And, you know, that that's a good problem for him to have. He's also got a, a Mesut Ozil, Aaron Ramsey kind of a problem in the team because it doesn't feel quite balanced in that front four when, when all yeah. four of those are, are playing. You know, is that something he's going to have to make a decision on sooner rather than later? Because maybe the the Aaron Ramsey stuff, and we'll talk about that now in a, in a few minutes' time when it comes to his contract and all the news that's gone on there. But maybe he might be the one to to make way. But you know, somebody like Mkhitaryan, somebody like Alex Iwobi, or indeed even somebody like Danny Welbeck might provide the front three with a bit more balance than than we currently see with those four uh, in play, even though those four players are all very, very talented. Yes, and uh, I would say uh, as much in terms of um, attacking and uh, as in defending the, the first the front line, I was going to say, um, defending high up and pressing high up, uh, which is a prime for Ramsey because he's not very fast at all. And it's not really in Mr. Dozil's temperament, where, whereas you could see how Alexi Wobi, for example, or Henrik Mkhitaryan, who has had, you know, he, he's been 
coach that, um, be it at, at Shakhtar with Michal Ustchesku or be it at Borussia Dortmund, somebody for whom it's not, you know, it's not a foreign notion. Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, you might say that for Mesut Ozil and, and for Anne Ramsey, yes, it is a bit something that they do not quite have in their game. So I, I, I would agree with you on, on this one. And, and I had the feeling that uh, uh, part of the prime we saw uh, in, in the last home game, passages of play in which neither Ozil uh, nor Ramsey seemed to be particularly involved in um, in the game. And I'm not talking in a creative sense. I'm mm. more talking in terms of positioning. I'm more talking in terms of looking for the interception or putting pressure on, on the opponent. They didn't seem to be quite on the same wavelength. It didn't quite work. And it was actually that exposed um, Torreira and, um, and, and Chaka a bit too much. And that explains a lot of the problems that, that we saw, uh, particularly in, in, in the second half, uh, in, in the first half. Um, so I, I would say, yes, I think your point is a fair one. And that uh, in terms of balance, you might be looking at players who are not as technically gifted or as creative, perhaps, but who bring a little bit more equilibrium to, to the team. And um, even though I think that this equilibrium, it, it, there's progress towards that. Uh, again, you see it in, um, in flashes. You don't see it over 90 minutes yet. And um, it's, you sometimes do get the impression that you have, it's almost like a cast of actors who haven't rehearsed enough. And in a way you're looking at a dress rehearsal yeah. and, and you're waiting, you know, for the real, for the moment they're going to step on stage and the curtain is going to raise and going to see the real thing. At the moment we you know, the curtain hasn't quite raised yet. Um, but yes, I mean, there, there, there is an Ozil problem and there is a Ramsey problem. Uh, we know that yeah. uh, in terms of how they fit in with the, the idea, the ideas that uh, Unai Emery has got. Is it for you? Is it either or? Is it one or the other? Or you know, is there perhaps in the longer term a need to to find a different solution? Um, I don't know if you'd agree with me, but I mean, I, I remember what Emery was saying about Aaron Ramsey at the beginning of the season, and even in preseason, how important he thought he could be mm -hmm. for the team. And I always wondered how much of this. Uh, is linked to the fact that he's in the last year of his contract. They're trying to persuade him to stay, so they want to, in a way, to sweet talk him into a new deal by telling him and telling the world at large how important, how pivotal the player he is in that team, which, to be honest, he's never been. Um, I don't think so. Uh, there are. He's had great moments. Uh, he's had, um, you know, seasons in which, for example, he. He was on the verge of becoming one of those free-flowing, uh, free-scoring midfielders. I mean, 2013-14, for example, scored 10 goals in the Premier League in, in playing just over 20 games, which is a remarkable return. Uh, but we haven't quite seen that, that Ramsey mm. since. So it might be a problem that is going to be solved anyway <laughs> in yeah. a different fashion. Yeah. Uh, the Ozil situation is, is quite a complex one. And I must say, I, I'm... I'm I wouldn't say I'm sitting on the fence on, on this, but I, I, I genuinely do think that he's been um, really perturbed by what's happened around the German national team. And even if he's put you know, a foot wrong here and there with the German national team, uh, some of the people at the head of the German Federation, uh, they've put their foot in it. 
and they haven't helped him at all. Actually, they're really pretty much hung him up to dry. And I think he's really suffered from that. And I think we see still see the uh, psychological consequences of what's happened with uh, with the national team. Yeah, he's not he's not quite there yet, and it's pretty obvious that he, he doesn't look completely. I mean, it doesn't look like the. Brazil, we've seen as well from time to time with, with Arsenal. We, we, we've yet to see a, a game in which has been convincing, um, in which has really brought what he can bring, and he can bring an awful lot. So, and I, 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 I believe he can do it. I genuinely believe he can do it. In the case of Ramsey, I'm, I'm, I'm not as sure as that. You do, I mean, uh, can can Ozil do it from the right hand side, or does he need to move more central where? he can see both sides of our attacking play where his vision can help him create the chances yeah. that we know that he can create. I mean, to me, if you are going to use Mesut Ozil, that seems the best place to use him. If you're having to make a decision between Aaron Ramsey and Mesut Ozil, you know, I, I like Ramsey, but I'm not wedded to him. And I think perhaps we made a mistake if he's not going to sign in in not selling him and taking some money and reinvesting. But that's something we'll touch on in a minute because it's it's been a common theme the way mm. Arsenal have let contracts run down. Um, but if you are going to choose one over the other, surely you've got to go with the guy who has committed to the club, who will be here next year, we assume, given the fact that he's got a contract, rather than become reliant on a player who is probably, in all likelihood, going to leave. I entirely agree with you, and I don't think there's much of a, a debate on this one. Um, and yes, we would like to see Mr. Dazil in his favoured role. Now, how you juggle the rest of the team around that, um, you certainly don't want to jettison the, uh, the relationship which exists between, like I said, and Obama Young, um, which is one of the most um, encouraging things we've seen. Uh, and for a while, actually, it's still, when, our, when Arsene was around and both of them played together, mm. we already saw that Obama Young was, he didn't seem to be too unhappy playing you know, to the left and combining with Lacazette. It's a bit more of a prime Lacazette on the left, even though, you know, you might remember he tried it when Lacazette and Giroud were put together on the field at one point, but mm. Giroud was a, more of a target man than Obama Young is. And Obama Young needs space, as we saw against Everton. And it might be that he will find more space in a role which is slightly more towards the left, it would be naturally the left, not the right. Yeah. Uh, then, then he does in the middle of, of, of the park, whereas Lacazette is very much a pure center forward, who is not the quickest, he's not the strongest, even though he, I thought his third goal, he showed a lot of strength to do that, uh, against Brentford, I mean. Mm -hmm. But he's somebody who relies more on his quickness of thought and his quickness of execution. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a beautiful finisher. And he does some great runs and he obviously has a relationship and, and relationships are perhaps what defines, what can define uh, a team more than anything else in terms of style of play. If you've got this, this kind of relationship, if you think of the great Arsenal sides of the past, you will always find a number of relationships in there between, you know, Dennis and Freddie, for example, yeah. between Pires and Ori, and you can carry on and even, you know, in a more defensive, uh, you know, between Manu and, and Patrick. And, and, and or within the defense. So when you have got one of those relationships going, the last thing you want to do is uh, to do away with it. So you've got to find a way to get those two guys on the pitch at the same time, which I think everybody's been clamoring for that. And, and, and Emery now seems to have decided it was the right way to go. If you look at the way he's uh, lined up his teams in recent league games, that's certainly the way it's going. Mm. 
Uh, and I, I don't think it's too much a question of shoehorning. It's more a question of, of fine-tuning uh, this particular um, uh, shape of the team. And with Ozil as a number 10, on the right you can use Mkhitaryan. Uh, he can play there. That's not really a problem. It's asking perhaps an awful lot of your wing, uh, of your wing backs, of your full backs. Maybe I'm betraying my hopes here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, Bellerin can do it. He's good going forward. And Nacho can do it. Um, so, you know, you've got something which is, I think is going to, is starting to take shape. And um, I, I, I do think that the Ramsey situation, in a way, perhaps we're making more of it than we should in terms of the style of play and the way the team is, is organized because precisely of the contractual situation, which means that he's at the forefront of our thoughts at the moment. Mm. When perhaps, when you look, when you look at uh, Ramsey's uh, input over the last few seasons, he hasn't been, um, I mean, first of all, there have been loads of muscular injuries uh, which have, you know, put the brakes on, on, on his progress. Yeah. But you can't say, again, that he's been a pivotal figure in the team. He has scored some very important goals, notably in the FA Cup. We'll remember that. Um, he's been sometimes he's been very he, he can be very imaginative. He, he, he's one of our only midfielders, if not our only midfielder, who has this sense of the, the late runs, which can cause so much problems for for the opposition. That's true. On the other hand, it's not around Ramsey that the team has been built, and I, it's to be honest with you, Andrew, it's something that I felt from the beginning. And I've never seen, despite, again, the flashes and, 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 and the, the quality of the goals and the number of goals, and he scored quite a few. I was mentioning the 2013-14 season, which was his most successful. Uh, there were a couple of others, uh, but not many more, actually, than that. Mm. He's, he's never been the, the fulcrum of the team. He's never been the player that you think, oh, okay, Arsenal is going to be built around Aaron Ramsey and the way he plays. And you know, we've, all, we've often complained, including here with you, about his indiscipline. Uh, and we thought, is this due to the way Wenger prepares his teams and the fact that Ramsey is so dangerous going forward that he's not given the proper instructions or, you know, um, to to cover and and a midfield with Ram Ramsey is quite fragile when the other team is in possession and attacking. Hmm. It's, it's, it's a it's a series of question marks, and you know which is quite remarkable when you think that you know he he played his first game for Arsenal in two thousand and eight. Yeah. that's a long time ago. That's yeah. a very long time ago, and we still have those question marks. So if we still have those interrogations, it's obviously because they haven't been answered sure. in ten years. Well, so is it to change now? No. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, that's fair. And I think, you know, we, we can all see that sometimes a player needs to move on or a club also needs to move on. And maybe that might well be the case with Aaron Ramsey. It seems to be the case. Um, just to sort of fill you in a little bit on what's gone on, some stories broke about how there was no contract offer on the table to Aaron Ramsey. Now, I'm aware that there were negotiations that Arsenal had offered Ramsey a, a very substantial increase, which would put him on parity more or less with Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan in that kind of wage bracket, which, you know, if a guy's going to stay at the club, um, you know, it, it wouldn't be unfair considering the contribution that he makes to be in that sort of bracket. Um but David Ornstein of the, the BBC has uh, revealed that the contract offer that was on the table or that was agreed 
I think we should say. This is the, the, the important part. It never got to the point where a contract was on the table. However, the, there was an agreement between all parties, which Arsenal then pulled back from and said they could no longer go through with. Um, we don't know why that's the case. We don't know who has made that decision. We don't quite know exactly the timing of that decision, but it seems as if now that that uh, that the situation with Ramsey is such that he will go either in January or the summer, and you have to think that it would probably be the summer because he'll have more options if he's available on a free transfer, even if Arsenal wanted to sell him in January, unless it's something Ramsey wants 100% himself, you know, he yeah. can just sit for six months and he's every right to do that. Let's make that clear. He's got yes. every right to do that. He sees out his contract. He's fulfilled the terms of his contract. And he's the kind of guy who will give you 100% on the pitch at all times, uh, regardless of whether he's got two years or two weeks left on his contract. It, he just strikes me as as that kind of a guy. But it brings into sharp focus, Philippe, uh, a bit of an issue that this club has had over the last number of years with players being allowed reach this stage of their contract without signing a new one or the club being more decisive in how they deal with a player who's reluctant or unwilling to commit to new terms and commit their future to the club? Um, yes, um, it, it is a recurrent problem, um, but I wonder what the causes of it are. One way of looking at it would be to say the club haven't done their job properly. They have failed to prepare for the future. They have failed to identify uh, problems which needed to be addressed um, quite quickly, quite urgently. When a player, for example, has only got two and a half seasons left on his contract, we'd better make sure that we negotiate now and we don't leave it until later. On the other hand, I think part of the problem has been that um, it's, it's actually it's a confluence of problems. Um, is that the results haven't been perhaps what certainly what we were hoping for, mm -hmm. what the club was hoping for, and what the players were hoping for. But at the same time, the players have been put in a very comfortable situation. Arsenal pays its players extremely well. Um, has and under our sense certainly had a quite softly, softly approach which made people feel very comfortable within this club. Um, so it's, it's a bit of a weird one because on one hand, you've got a club that is underperforming, you would say, yeah. uh, in comparison to certainly its financial resources. It's the sixth richest club on the planet, according to Deloitte. It certainly hasn't looked like the sixth richest club on the planet for a while. So, therefore, players might be tempted to say, well, you know, let's wait and see, see what happens, recruitment, results, and so forth. Mm. Um, it's, it's not an easy place to leave. <laughs> you know, you're in London, you're in one of the great clubs of English and European football, uh, and, and things start to become a little bit more complicated. I mean, in a club where people win things regularly, and I'm going to mention some unmentionables here. I'm, I'm, I apologize, Andrew. Okay. But if you play for, for say, for Chelsea, for example, and uh, this is a club which wins trophies on a regular basis, big trophies, it's a completely different situation when it comes to negotiating with players. You're, you're in a position of strength because you can tell them, look at us. We've won the Champions League. We've won the Europa League. Mm -hmm. We've won the league, blah, 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 blah. Uh, we offer you good money, actually maybe not as good money as Arsenal would, but 
you've got that. So obviously you're tempted to carry on with those people, uh, with this club. Hazard, for example. Excuse me? Eden Hazard, for example. You know that... Uh, Eden Hazard, for example, but Hazard is a you know is is a one-off in in contemporary football. Is sure. is is a one-off, but yeah, Eden Hazard is 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 a good example of that. Um, it's not quite the same thing uh, with Arsenal, where players and their representatives probably feel that they can use that to their advantage. Uh, I don't want you know uh, to 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 put the blame on, on on people. I think it's more, as I said, it's a conjunction of circumstances which explains why we've gone to such a stage with so many players. The lack of uh, results, uh, the personal interests of players, the personal interests of their representatives who are trying to play you know play the game basically. And and when Arsene has uh, said um, we're going to see more and more players coming to the end of their contract, is actually telling the truth. It's something which is a phenomenon which is not restricted. To, to Arsenal. You can see it happen in other clubs, to English clubs and elsewhere, where players are basically sitting on their contract and waiting for it to expire. Then you can have the big signing on fee and so on. That's, that's absolutely uh, correct. It's the right, especially in, an, in, in a market which is inflationary, where you, as a player and as a player's agent, you don't want to commit yourself for too long because you know that we are in a spiral at the moment where the contracts are you know, I, I'm going to pluck a figure out of the of the sky here, uh, but it's plus 25% every season. So you're not going to be stupid and commit yourself if you know that you have a better possibility of negotiating something which is going to be better in six months or a year's time. That's that's part of the problem. Now, when the club is winning things, it changes the parameters completely because a player, first and foremost, wants to play and wants to win trophies. So you're in a position of strength. Arsenal hasn't been in this position of strength for a very long time. You know, it's not the FA Cup uh, that we've won, which make any difference whatsoever. Mm. Um, and and in the, I'm not saying this is what is um, the reason for the um, contract situation with, with Aaron Ramsey, as it was the case for, you know, very different for Jack Wilshere or Theo Walcott. I mean, I'm sure you could probably roll off uh, quite a few um, well, Alexis Sanchez. Mesut uh, Ozil, uh, um, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, yeah. who, in fairness, the club the club moved on. I mean, I, I absolutely take what you're saying, and I think you're right. I think there is a, a whole variety of reasons as to, as to why this is happening, but I do feel like at the heart of it, as a club, it's an area that Arsenal could could improve on in terms of how we deal with players, in terms of how we deal with selling players, you yeah. know, the decisiveness in the market, you know, the the how many times did we loan out players we tried to sell, you know, and that's maybe partly our fault because you give them wages that are unsustainable at other clubs and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it is, it is, we have a same situation with Danny Welbeck. I know Danny Welbeck isn't perceived perhaps as the most important player or somebody on the, on a par with Aaron Ramsey, maybe, you know, at the same time though, in this market, you know, Danny Welbeck was a twenty million pound, twenty-five million pound player last summer. Aaron Ramsey was a, a fifty million pound player 
last summer. Yeah. And that's seventy-five million pounds that if you're if you've got this transfer guy, if you've got your Sven Mislintat who can unearth the diamonds in the rough, who can find you a Genduzi, who can find you a Mavropanos, you know, that, that money could go quite a long way. So leaving it on the table the way Arsenal have, kind of hoping that they could do with Ramsey what they did with with Ozil. Um, which didn't, you know, uh, end up in the the best deal for Arsenal. I don't think. Not that Ozil staying was bad, but perhaps Ozil staying on three hundred and fifty thousand pounds a week was bad. You know, it just feels to me like that's a, an area that could well be improved, and perhaps it will be improved with the departure of Ivan Gazidis and and greater responsibility for Raul Sanyehi. Yes, that's a, a possibility. I, I think yet again, what you're seeing here is a problem of transition. Uh, there was a point, uh, and, and not that long ago um, in, in Arsenal history, uh, with Wenger, when the club was actually ahead of others when it came to transfers. And one of the reasons for that was that the chain of command was extremely short. Actually, the chain had uh, one link in it, yeah. and this link was called Arsene Wenger, uh, which enabled him. It's something that you know I, I talked to Arsene about. There's one thing that he was so happy with is that the decisions could be taken very quickly and it could be 24 hours before, between the moment when they decided, decided to go for a player to the time when the deal was actually agreed because there was absolutely nobody that he had to report to and he, could, he had obviously fantastic contacts within the game. He could move in quickly and secure, uh, like for example, this is the way he secured Freddie Ljungberg, which is I think something even less than 24 hours. But there were other examples of that. And, but at the same time, which is something which happened in other areas of the club's activity, the rest of football has moved on and this particular model has become outdated. Now, because it had been so successful in terms of transfer policy as well, um, obviously you want to, to, to stick to what you know best, what you know how to operate, especially if Arsene, as time went, became uh, more and more, and especially since David Dean left, which is now ancient history, I know, mm. but uh, became even more of the central figure who decided absolutely everything. And, and, but on the other hand, what you don't have is the new type of structures that most clubs have developed, uh, which are not exactly, it's not exactly the continental model, as people say. Uh, I think it's a little bit um, crude to say that, because I think the continental model has also evolved. It's more a collegiate uh, way of deciding things rather than having the sports director. You know, the, uh, on the continent, it used to be that the, the manager would go to the board and say, when well, I need a left back, a central midfielder and a left winger. Okay. And then the sporting, sports director would come up with ideas, put those to the manager, say, yeah, what about this one, this one, this one, let's have a chat. The manager would say, yeah, 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 yeah that's great. And then the sporting director decided. And, and that was that. He was using a list that had been agreed. And then the decision would – it doesn't happen like this in clubs which have a successful transfer policy today. Uh, it, is far, it is far more collegiate than that. You don't have a rigid role as the manager and a rigid role as the sports director. If you look at what's happening at Liverpool, for example, mm. which I would argue is probably the most successful club in terms of transfer policy in, in England. I don't think many people would argue with that, to be honest. And you see how it happens. It's a bit more fluid than that, you know, between the 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 recruitment the the, the recruitment cell or the recruitment brigade and and Jurgen Klopp and the American owners and so forth. There, there is some kind of co coherent policy happening there, where the decisions are taken in a collegiate way. Arsenal is not at that point at all, and you, you wonder actually how soon it would get to that point with the departure of Gazidis, or is it that Sanyehi, as you say? 
uh, who has got a very good track record indeed, uh, is going to be given this responsibility working with Unai Emery and uh, with Josh Kroenke. That's possible. But again, it is another transition period. And it's uh, unfortunately uh, unavoidable that you're going to have, um, I'm going to use the word casualties, it's too strong a word, but you're going to have problems linked to this fact that we're moving from one model to the next. Um, and and that, that's the case with the Ramsey situation. Um, that's the case with um, all the situations we've, you, you've mentioned beforehand. Uh, is it that bad? I don't necessarily think so, to be honest. I, 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 you, I think the Ramsey... You mean players leaving on a free? Is that bad? Well, that can be pretty bad. Um, but what do you do? I mean, Robin van Persie, what could you have done? kept him on no i know i know i mean you get to these points and you do have to make you do have to make a decision nevertheless the robin van Persie money went some way to funding the purchase of Giroud, kazorla and and podolsky okay it didn't take us where we wanted to go but you could see no, there was some sort of manchester united the title yes of the, course i mean i didn't want to say that you know but <laughs> but you know but, you, but, you, but the thing is that uh, the thing is that andrew if, if arsenal had won the title in the year before robin van Persie. uh uh, was supposed to renew or not renew his contract when you when you had twelve months left. I can bet your bottom, you know, my bottom euro, then then he would have stayed. If you, if if you're with a winning team, you stay. Of That's course, as simple as that. Yeah. Or if you're in a team where you know you're going to win things, or you have a feeling that yes, something can happen. If you're at Manchester City at the moment, nobody wants to leave Manchester City. Of course not, unless mm. you know you're a guy who's left to rot in reserves. Um, in the case of, of, of Manchester United, you might want to leave if you're Paul Pogba uh, and because there's somebody, you know, Barcelona waiting for you or something like that. Most of the other players, if you have the chance to be at Manchester United and, you know, they have won a couple of trophies in, not that long ago, uh, indeed, and, and you think you'll always be in a position to win those titles, you're going to perhaps be a little bit more careful about what you do with your career. And you might think, hold on a minute, I balance, I'm two years away from the end of my contract. Will I find something, a pl- better place in, in, in football terms? Will I find a better place in quality of life? Will I find a better place in terms of the money I can earn? And you look around and you think, when you're at Arsenal, money's great, quality of life is fantastic, but will we win anything? I'm not too sure about that. Mm. I'm not too sure about that. And therefore, it encourages this attitude where players stay, overstay a little bit, perhaps, and, and because they are in such comfortable situation, and the club was structured in such a way that it couldn't move forward in, in, as, as it perhaps should have. Yeah. It, it's, it's, a, it's a weird one. Again, you know, I don't want to put the blame on the players or their agents or the club. It's, again, it's circumstances um, being put together, which mean that we are in this weird situation where we have an awful lot of money to spend, including on wages, but we don't seem to be able to convince players to stay because of what is happening on the pitch. I think that's, for me, that's the, the bottom of, of it all. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. You know, bottom line, if a player is uh, feels like they can realise their footballing ambitions, they will be much more inclined to stay or much more open, at least, to having that discussion. I mean, look, you go back as far as Cesc Fabregas, for example, who I know people will view now in a different light, but at the time, there was no doubt that Cesc Fabregas really loved 
Arsenal, but felt that the ambitions he had as a player to win the big titles could not be achieved. And, you know, he was right uh, to a large extent. And it goes back that far. And I do think that plays a part. I also just think generally, in administrative terms, we are a club who could do things a little bit better. And I'm very curious about this Ramsey thing as to to who pulled the plug on that. Did it have some kind of crossover with the uh, the KSE takeover when they bought in uh, Usmanov shares? You know, who made the decision? Was it was it Josh Kroenke? Was it Raul Sanyehi uh, flexing his brand new muscles as the <laughs> head of football? We'll we'll have to wait and see. But uh, Philippe, it's um, it's going to be interesting to see how all this plays out. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I, there is there is no reason to be um, astonishingly cheerful and you know to walk on air. But there are no reasons either to feel that the club is you know is is going through a a period that could you know. I mean, the club looks closer today for me to, for example, uh, that famous trophy, a place in the top four this season, <laughs> than it did for the last two seasons. I certainly, I certainly believe that they have got a, a great chance of doing it. I can't, I can't see why not, genuinely. Mm. And um, perhaps due to the situation in other clubs, um, be it Tottenham or especially Manchester United. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I know we can ha- we can have a little laugh. We can look if we if we start if we start this podcast frazzled, we should go out with a little bit of a laugh and uh, absolutely, yeah. we we have to you know put a little smiley face at the end of it. <laughs> Of, uh, and and honestly, the, I, I maybe I'm not I'm, I'm not a Ramseyite, <laughs> but I don't I don't know. I mean, I for me, it's no big tragedy. I, Losing Robin van Persie felt like it was it, it was horrible because Robin had been was a gooner, yeah. definitely, and also had done some fantastic things for for and with the club. And you felt it was it was pretty it was you know mm. was heartbreak. Uh, Samia Nasri leaving the club was not heartrending. No, um, not really. No. Uh, um, Ramsey will be. It's a pity it didn't quite work out the way we would have hoped it to work out. The, considering all the hopes we, we placed in that player when he arrived at the club, and the fact that Arsene got him, you know, um, from the clutches of Manchester United when Manchester United was actually a title contender and a, and a champion and a European champion as well. Mm. So in a way that it's, it's a reminder of how things got a little bit pear shaped as well. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I tend to agree with that. I do like Aaron Ramsey, but he's been here 10 years and uh, he's provided some very memorable moments. But Indeed. in general, if we're going to look at changing the culture of the club and changing some of the things that didn't work the way we wanted them to work, you know, maybe moving on a guy, uh, who who has been here ten years and has been a part of that is is just part of that process. So uh, we'll wait and see, and maybe we'll find out one day what exactly happened with this uh, contract and this contract offer. But Philippe, we better leave it there. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Andrew. Unwanted family guests are like fish; they start to stink after three days. So, what's the best mattress for them this holiday season? Definitely not a nectar. Then they'll never leave. Flip those fish your old mattress and put your human body on a Nectar. Prices start at just $499, and you get $399 in accessories thrown in, a 365-night home trial, and a forever warranty. A fresher deal than your mackerelly mother-in-law, right? Go to Nectarsleep.com today. This holiday season, treat yourself. 
treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. As always, an absolute pleasure to uh, to chat to Philippe Auclair about everything that's been going on at this football club over the last little while. And clearly there is a lot going on on the pitch and off the pitch. And uh, hopefully over the next weeks and months and years, even things will become more clear. Hopefully it doesn't take years for things to become clear. Would be nice to get a better idea of what's happening a, a bit sooner than that. But look, it's out of our hands. It's out of our hands. This weekend we're playing Watford. At the Emirates Stadium, uh, Troy Deeney, that guy, you remember him last season, he uh, missed a penalty, which was fun. A little bit of pantomime to the villainry there. Uh, Petr Cech finally saving a penalty after letting in, I think it was his last 10 or 12 or something like that. My advice, though, to Arsenal on Saturday, tomorrow, is just don't concede any penalties. If you wouldn't mind, that would be great. I know by talking about this now, I've absolutely nailed on the fact that somebody will hack somebody down in the box. Uh, I wonder who the referee is. It's hopefully not Mike Riley. Mike Riley, Mike Dean. The Mike's... The evil Mikes, we've had them this week, obviously Mike Dean in, in midweek in the uh, in the Carabao Cup game. I suspect we're going to see the return of most of the players who missed out in the midweek game. And Brentford, Czech will come back in, Bellerin, Socrates hopefully is fit. Could Rob Holding start alongside Socrates? I doubt it. I think he'll probably play Mustafi again. Though how many times... Can Mustafi make a mistake and keep his place in the side? That is the big question. I think if we had more competition for places at centre-half, he might find himself out of the team. But Torreira, Xhaka... Uh, Torreira, Xhaka... Oh, dear. Um, sorry about that. That was awful. Uh, Mesut Ozil come back in. Obama Yang. Um, Aaron Ramsey, he did a bit of a, did a bit of a cameo on Wednesday night. Lacazette will probably start the game up front as well. Danny Welbeck, he could well be pushing for a place in the starting eleven after his two goals. Who knows? With Unai Emery, we're still just a little bit in the dark. And maybe that's not a bad thing in general. Keeps us guessing, keeps us on our toes. So look, I'm going to leave it there for this particular podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show as ever. If you're looking for something else to listen to, we recorded a two-hour special for our Patreon members uh, on the run to the Champions League in 2005-2006. Now, some of you will be going, oh my God, I, I couldn't possibly relive that. That was terrible to lose in the Champions League final. And yes, it was terrible to lose in the Champions League final. But there was a lot to enjoy about what we did in Europe that season. You know, you think about the clean sheet record, the makeshift back four, Thierry Henry uh, breaking the Arsenal goal-scoring record away at Sparta Prague, the win in the Bernabeu, beating Juventus at Highbury. Remember when Robert Perez tackled uh, Patrick Vieira and fed it to Cesc Fabregas? It was like a, a changing of the midfield guard. Squirrel! It's uh, it's quite an enjoyable listen. It was quite enjoyable to uh, to record again, even if... 
that final game did not go the way that we wanted it to go. It wasn't as painful as as you might think. So if you fancy listening to that, and if you fancy listening to all the other podcasts that we have for our Patreon members, loads of interviews, loads of history podcasts in there, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash arsblog. It costs just a fiver a month. Think what you could spend a fiver on right now. You wouldn't even blink. It'd be gone out of your pocket in a second. So if you fancy uh, signing up and supporting the site, supporting everything that we do here and getting all that extra content, go to patreon.com forward slash arseblog and you can sign up there. James and I will be here with an Arsecast Extra at the weekend, probably on Monday, maybe on Sunday. Who knows? His filming schedule will dictate the time of recording. We'll let you know on Twitter, though, at arseblog and at gunnerblog. You can uh, keep an eye on that. We'll tell you when to send your questions in. For now, though, we're going to leave it there. Catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Bit of an Arse Blog exclusive for you right now. Uh, we've managed to bag an interview with the Arsenal boss, Unai Emery. A fantastic opportunity to speak to him, to find out what his plans are, how he's viewing his work, what he what he perceives as the challenges that he faces as as the new Arsenal manager, the process, as he likes to call it, getting everybody on board with his methods and, and everything else. Uh, but I began by asking him, I think the question that everybody, everybody and every Arsenal fan would like to know above all else when it comes to Unai Emery. I mean, there are so many things, aren't there, that you you could ask him about transfer plans, about what happened really with Mesut Ozil, about, you know, what what even happened uh, when it came to getting the job? Was it as in-depth as Ivan Gazidis said? You know, who does he view as his key players, as his perception of what he's got to do? changed or some of the people that he's got to work with have they changed did he have preconceived ideas about some of the players who surprised him who's maybe disappointed him i mean there's so much that you could ask him but you know you know me i like to get down to brass tacks straight away right to the nuts and bolts of it the heart of the matter none of the usual bullshit and you know chaff that you get in these kind of interviews so I asked him, I just asked him, straight out, didn't hesitate, didn't dilly-dally, didn't sort of, uh, you know, go around the houses to get to the question, just straight in there, wham, bam, proper fucking journalism, proper journalism. I just wanted, I, I, I had to, you don't get this opportunity very often. So I asked him, what's your favorite Spandau Ballet song? It's, isn't true. Yeah, but, yeah, but what is it? It's not true. Yeah, I mean, I get it. Fair enough. It's not true. You know, there's loads to choose from, isn't there? Through the barricades and cut a long story short or gold. I mean, I just want to know which one it is. Which is your favorite one? It's not true. It's not true. (laughs) This is getting very tiresome now, Mr. Emery. I'm being very respectful here. I'm asking you a very simple question. You keep avoiding the answer.
makes me feel like you've got something to hide, to be perfectly honest. I'm going to ask you one more time. What is your favorite Spandau Ballet song? It's, it's not true. Ugh. Emery out. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.